Good to see everybody here this morning. Kind of a great surprise as a pastor because I'm usually on the holidays. People, I know many of you are going to be having Thanksgiving today with family that's came in. I want to just compliment you on your attendance here today. I just give, just give yourself a great big hand. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, a lot of times when we're going through different trials and tribulations, we view our trial differently than other, the way other people view it. Sometimes they think, oh, it ain't no big deal. And a lot of times you think that unless you're the one going through it. Can I have an amen? And uh, I heard something the other day about a man, and he's running down the road, and he, all of a sudden he looks in his rearview mirror, and he sees red lights. And a policeman's pulling him over, and he looks down. He's going to speed limit. And he thought, well, what in the world is this all about? And he pulled over, and the cop come up to him and said, sir, I want you to know that uh, you don't have any taillights. And the guy was what? And he jumped out and he went back there and he was getting all excited and all upset. And the cop's saying, hey man, it's all right. Calm down. I'm not going to give you a ticket. You just don't have any brake lights. He said, it may not be a big thing to you, but that means I lost a camper, a wife, and two kids somewhere. <laughs> Amen. Things don't always appear the way they appear to other people on their outside view of you, unless you're going through the trial. Amen. The first thing I want to do this morning, I want to start off this message with some questions. I want to ask you some serious questions. I want you to take them to your heart and analyze them. My first question would be, how many of you would like to see greater manifestations of the presence of God? How many of you would like to see greater outward visible signs, wonders, miracles in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you would like to see greater blessings on your family, your church, and even your country? How many of you would like to see things change to the better and not to the worse? How many of you would like to see the nation have national revival and a divine awakening actually take place in the United States? How many of you would even be happy for for even small insignificant changes to take place that you've been wanting to see for years and that you've been praying over for years. It may be a change in your health, your marriage, in a child or on your job, or maybe it may be a career that you want changed. It may be even yourself that you're working on and you'd like to see changes be made. I think that most of, not all of us, would raise our hands and say yes to every single one of these questions. If you did not want to say yes to these questions, then you have a serious spiritual problem. If we desire such things, and we want those types of things to come to pass, then I ask you two more questions. What are we going to do about it? And are we willing to change and to make are we willing to change in the way that, that we do things now? Are we willing to change to make those things that we desire to come to pass? If we continually keep doing the things that we've always done, we're going to keep having the same old results that we've always had. And to get something different, a person has to do things differently. We have to change. And can I tell you, you cannot get something different different by just simply wishing and hoping and waiting and praying. Things don't just fall out of the sky. As a matter of fact, there has to be an aggressive action on the part of a believer in order for his faith to be rewarded. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As a matter of fact, faith is an action word and without works, faith is dead being alone. And if we truly 
want something, we got to go after it with all of our heart. And we're not going to get rewarded of our faith unless we put our faith to action. Can I have an amen? If there's one thing that I know, if these things that are, we are desiring to have, they'll never come to pass and we'll never be rewarded of those things until we get aggressively seeking them and asking God for them and going after them with all of our heart. We've got to go after it like a deer would penneth after a water book. We've got to get hungry. We've got to get thirsty. The things that you desire to see change in your life, they're not going to just change automatically. It's going to take you getting involved in the things of the Spirit in order for them to happen. You might be asking, what in the world does this have, what does this have to do with our text? Can I tell you, it has everything to do with our text. You say, your text is on a parable of the sower and the seed and of tares. It has everything to do with our text here today, and I'll show you. We see that there were two sowers in our text. One sowed good seed, the other sowed bad seed. One sowed seed while the other sowed tares according to the word of the Lord. And we know by scripture that the one who sowed the bad seed or the tares was the enemy and he done it while men slept. That's when he sowed these tares. And one of the things that we have to be alert about in these last days is spiritual drowsiness. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8 to be sober, to be vigilant because your adversary the devil's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. We are to be alert. We are to be watchful because some of the biggest tragedies in the word of God happened while men slept, when they wasn't paying attention. Did you know that Delilah cut Samson's hair while he slept and it robbed him of his strength. Did you know that the ten virgins were asleep when the call of the bridegroom came? And we could go on and on and on. You can see slumber and sleep and unawareness because of men being slothful. This is why the Bible says in Romans 13 and 11 and that knowing the time that now it's high time to wake out of the sleep for now is our salvation nearer than what we ever believed. And when you look at that context, it's just not talking about the second return of Christ, but it's talking about the things of salvation. How many know that there's provisions in the thing of salvation? How many know there's divine healing through the provision of the cross? How many knows there's deliverance through the power of the cross? How many knows that God can do the miraculous by the blood that was shed upon that cross? Come on, somebody. Those things are right at our fingertips. The provision of the cross is awaiting us. Hallelujah. The things that we desire, the things that we want, the things that we want to see come to pass. Can I tell you today, they're at the fingertip of the believer because it's already been provided through the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. We can have everything that we desire by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, just lift up your hands and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. And so why the first Thessalonians five and six says, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch, let us be sober. There are more times than I can count where the Bible tells us to awake, to be sober, to be watchful. I started trying to, couldn't find it. Usually you can put how many times does the word watch come in the Bible. It wouldn't tell me on the internet, so I started trying to count them. Too many to count. But even though it talks about an enemy that came and sowed these tares, yet I submit to you this morning that one of our greatest enemies is not just the devil, and the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Yes, there are enemy. But one of our greatest enemy is our flesh. 
When we lose our spiritual alertness, we lose our discernment and we end up sowing of the flesh instead of the spirit. And then we bring forth Ishmael's, the seed of the flesh, instead of the Isaac's, the seed of promise. And then you know what that creates in our life? It creates havoc, it creates conflict. Even to this day, there's conflict between the seed of Ishmael and the seed of Isaac. Can I have an amen? That's what all that Middle East stuff's all about. And what happens to us a lot of times, we want great things to happen, but we're sowing the Ishmaels and we're sowing the Isaacs in the same field and we're causing conflict and we're having inner conflict within ourselves. Churches have inner conflict. Believers have inner conflict. That's why the Bible says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrasts one to the other and it causes you to do things that you should not do. In other words, what we're saying is that if we're not careful, that even though we desire great things from the Lord, if we have fleshly activity, that the fleshly activity can hinder us from obtaining everything that God has already provided for you and I. Notice in our text that the man that sowed the good seed brought forth fruit of the same, he brought forth good fruit. And even so, the man that sowed tares also had tares to spring up right along with the wheat, right along with the good seed. This whole parable deals with the difference in the wheat and the tares and the different sowers, the good sower and the bad sower. We have to be careful of what we're sowing and also we have to be careful of what we're allowing to be sown into us. Come on, somebody. Some of you need to change friends. Some of you need to get away from some acquaintances. Some of you need to change the atmosphere and the dwelling and where you dwell. I'm just being honest. Because I want to tell you, you've got to be careful what people sow into your spirit. Matter of fact, not too long ago, somebody had told me that they had seen a table and uh, uh, there was a, they heard over the conversation, man, I was sitting in a restaurant, I heard in the conversation, man, there was a man and a woman and they were not speaking well of your church and they were tearing it down and they were talking to some new members of ours. And all of a sudden, I found out those members ain't even coming anymore. And they won't tell me why. They won't, I don't know, but I didn't even find this out till later on. And if you're not careful, you got to watch out what people sow into your ears and how they influence you. Can I have an amen? But the main point I feel like that the Holy Spirit has wanted to get over to us here this morning is simply, if you sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow beans, you're going to get beans. Can I have an amen? If you sow wheat, don't expect to get corn as a harvest. It ain't going to work. If you sow weeds, then don't expect to get grain or fruit. If you sow cuckaburs, you're going to get cuckaburs in your field. Can I have an amen? Whatever this man sows, that is what he's going to reap. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Be not deceived that God's not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall reap of the flesh corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. Notice that the two different kinds of seed was sown in the very same field. Therefore, two different kinds of fruit sprung up, and there were both wheat and tares in the same dwelling. The good that was sown, listen to this, did not stop the bad that was sown to come up as well. Did you hear that? The good that was sown did not stop the bad from coming up as well. The good seed did not negate the consequences of sowing of the bad seed. The good that you do does not stop the bad seed from having a harvest in your life as well. 
So many people want to justify their weaknesses by their strength, but the problem of it is nothing changes the law of reaping and sowing. We always want to compare what good we do to the things that we come up short in. We think that the good will outweigh the bad, and therefore it negates the effect that the bad has upon our life, which is false. You can have both good and bad seed growing together in the same field at the very same time. And even though the condition of the ground, which is our heart, according to Jesus' teaching, even though that the condition of the ground, the heart, that the seed is sown in is very important, yet Jesus even spoke about the wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground in his parable in Matthew 13. And each one of these represented the condition of man's heart. And as important as that is, yet I also submit to you this morning, it's also extremely important of the kind of seed that you sow in that heart. God help me you can sow bad seed in a good field and it will still grow a bad crop now let me slow down here because the Holy Spirit's wanting to speak to us here today I said you can sow bad seed in a good field and you will still grow a bad crop you can have the best heart you can have the best intentions but the truth of the matter is, good intentions and a good heart does not justify wrong action. Can I have an amen? It doesn't always take bad people to do bad things, but bad things affect good people the same way it does the bad. When farmers take their grain to the elevators and they sell it, the elevator will take what we call the sample of that grain. Those of you who's ever worked in the grain business and know about farming, you know this is true. They will take these big vacuum rods. Now, we, they used to go out and do it manually. Now they got them by machine. They'll reach out there and shoo, they'll go down in that truck and, and that vacuum will suck the, that, that grain up and go inside into a, a, big, a big container. And they'll do that prodding all over that truck in several different places and they'll get those samples. And then they'll take those samples and they'll put them into what they call a pan that has holes and screens in them. At least this is the way they done it years ago when I was a boy. They will shake that pan and all the small foreign substances and the trash and, and the uh, weed particles will fall to the bottom and the grain will stay at a level in the pans. And the heavy, heavy, the weeds and the cuckaburs and all that will stay on the top. And they'll take those that's on the top, put it on the things at the bottom where the small foreign substance is at, and then they will weigh all of that foreign substance, uh, and then they will dock that load proportionally, and it will affect the outcome of your pay. It will affect your total harvest. And even though you have good seed and good grain and good fruit, yet the foreign material that came out of that field will also hinder and have an effect upon the total outcome of what you desire. Oh, God, help me. The same it is with the Spirit. The Lord's speaking right here. The same it is with the Spirit, the thorns, the weeds, the stones that Jesus talked about in Matthew 13. He even said they can get so bad that they can choke the good seed and make us become unfruitful. They can affect us. And just because you've sown a lot of good seed in your life, that does not take away from you reaping the seed, the bad seed that you have as well. And the bad seed that you sown mars and affects the outcome of your total return. You don't get back what you expected. There's a lot of us expecting a lot of things from God, and they're not happening. Why? Come on, Come on somebody. 
Could it be that we're not seeing the full results of our outcome of our good because we have too many tears in our lives that's showing up during our time of reaping? Could it be that we're not seeing the full effect of the power of the Spirit because we have too much fleshly activity involved? Could it be that we are more prone to expect a full harvest without paying attention to the fleshly activity that might be robbing us of our total outcome? The Bible even says that the cares of this life, just the cares of life, can choke us. And we can become the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the things of this flesh. Notice that the tares wasn't noticed until it was about harvest time. Now, there are different harvests in our time. There's times that we sow seed of prayer. There's times that we sow seed of preaching. There's times that we sow seed of giving. And there's times that we sow all kinds of different kinds of seeds. And at different times in our lives, those things come to a harvest point. And then when the harvest comes, a lot of times we don't see the full impact of what we felt like that we should because of all of the labor, intense labor that we put into it. How many of you have ever questioned, God, why? Why ain't this happening? Why ain't that? Well, we're praying and we're doing all that we know to do, but again, are we paying attention to the small insignificant things that don't, are not detected that might be robbing us of the harvest? You know, there's wheat and there's also what they call tares or blanks. And the difference is that when that wheat's growing up and tares are out in a wheat field, you cannot tell them apart. It's impossible. They look alike, they're dressed alike, and they'll start growing together, and the only time that you can really tell the difference in them is when it's time for harvest, because the wheat will put on fruit at the end of its head, and it will cause that, that vine to droop or to bow. But the tear has got blanks in it, it's light, it does not bow. When you look out over a rice field or when you look out over a wheat field at harvest time, you can see it comes up and all that fruit's bowed over. What's that sign of? It's a sign of a, a, a humility. It's a sign of submission before the presence of God. But that tear, it has no weight or substance to it and it stands tall in its private, private ego and its, and its, and its personal uh, uh, lack of humility and it causes the fruit to be hindered because the tares are right there with it. Can I have an amen? Am I preaching all right here this morning? Most of the time we don't see or pay attention to the foreign matter due to the fact that it's usually small in substance and it remains mostly undetected. Most of the time our focus on big things and not little things. We always want the big boom, the big changes. Come on, somebody. I'll tell you how a big change will happen is when you take care of the five small things that you need to change. And then the big thing will happen. Can I have an amen? Little by little, bit by bit, as we change ourselves, we can be conformed to the image of Christ. And the more that we're conformed to the image of Christ, the more we spread the tent states for the indwelling of the presence of Almighty God. Oh, Holy Spirit, somebody's got to shout here with me just a moment. Most of the time, we just don't pay attention uh, we don't see the consequences of those small little termites to destroy the mighty foundations. We don't see those things that we think is small and insignificant as important. And it's the little foxes that spoil the vine according to the word of the Lord. It's not the giants. It's not the Goliaths that kill the church. It's that little bitty, bitty, bitty thing. 
that's unseen and undetected. Those little white lies, those small exaggerations, those bad attitudes, that poor speech, the root of unforgiveness, the little lust, the fear, the little gossip, the little backbiting. Come on, somebody. The fighting, the feuding, the, in, the lack of unity, the lack of obedience, the lack of worship, the lack. Come on, we go on. and I don't have to hit where you're at, do I? We don't see that those small things that we're disobedient in as important, and we don't see the kind of an effect that it has upon our life. We compare the little bad that we have to the great big good that we have, and we justify and say, well, my good outweighs my bad. God, help us. I want to tell you, we don't understand that we, we literally destroy ourselves when we do that. I also think that we're more intoxicated by the things of the world than what we really think. And it was Paul that said, be not drunk with wine, words it exists, but be filled with the Spirit. We can say whatever we want, but worldly, fleshly entanglements rob us of a full harvest. Amen. 2% or 1% even of your bad can affect 98 to 99% of your good. If you don't believe me, let a preacher make a mistake. Let a church leader make a mistake. Let a Christian make a mistake. Let a preacher go into a restaurant and the waitress ain't good and he, he's mean and he's vindictive and he's, and he's grippy. And come on, somebody. Let a church member be at a stoplight and someone won't move. And they're mad. You can see them in the mirror chewing you out. Come on. Let a Christian man be on a bus and an old lady get on and there's no seats and the man won't give up and give his seat over to her. Come on, we can get real personable here. The little things that we don't think means anything. They mean everything. Because I want to tell you, it's even human nature not to pay attention to 99% of a man's good works and focus on that one little flaw or that one little mistake that that man made. Can I have an amen? And that one little mistake can literally destroy a harvest. You can be on a praise team. Somebody see you do something in the area of mistake. Then you know what happens? They come to the house of God. They can't even worship with you. You can be a preacher, a teacher. Do something out there and somebody come in. They can't listen to what you preach. They can't listen to what you teach. Why? Because of a little tear that was sown and it sprung up and it manifested and they've seen it become active in your life. Oh, God, help us. It's getting heavy. I, I'm here to tell you today that I've never had the Spirit of God deal with me more on my personal life than what he is right now. I'm serious. It's getting a little personable. I've been praying for revival for a long time. I've been praying for an awakening, a latter-day outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I've been praying for healing and deliverances, signs, wonders, miracles, and the operation of the word of faith upon the people of God. And the more I pray, it seems the more God is critiquing me, challenging me, yes, even convicting me, purging me, sanctifying me, and cleansing me. I've wanted to just kind of withdraw from everybody right now and just be alone. 
As a matter of fact, I was telling my prayer group the other day, I just opened up and shared with them, I said, I feel so dirty. Every aspect of my life is under divine scrutiny. It's under examination before the presence of God. Every move I make, I feel like I gotta make it wisely. I feel like that everything I say needs to edify, to encourage, to lift up, or don't say a word. I've not arrived at perfection yet, but I'm like the Apostle Paul. Right now, there is a driving Kent Miller to become to perfection. I don't know if God's just getting me ready for the rapture or what it is, but I know one thing. I will see before I die the sleep of death or before the rapture comes. I will see the manifestations of the power of God that I've been praying for and seeking for and longing for because I refuse to allow some tears in my life to rob me of the harvest that's promised and the provision has already been made for it. God spoke to me and he said, you can't have a full return of your good if there's those weights and sins that so easily beset you. They weigh you down. A runner can't run his full potential and finish the course in the time that's allotted and the time that he wants with weights all over him. Some things are not sin. Some things are just weights. They're not convenient. They're not profitable. Why is it that the body of Christ don't care if it's not sin, but if it weights you down, if it gives you a bad testimony, if it offends somebody, if it's not profitable, it's not convenient, why do it? Can I have an amen? Weights. The scripture that's coming alive in my life is, Found in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Now let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I want you to notice something. How many knows that you're cleansed by the blood of the lamb? You're justified by Jesus Christ. But here there's a different language. He says, though you were cleansed at Calvary, now you have the obligation to sanctify yourself. He says, cleanse yourselves. There's things I gotta put off. There's things I gotta put on. The old man and his deeds, I gotta put off. But I gotta put on Christ. Come on, somebody. That's my job. That's your job. There's things we gotta put off. There's things we gotta put on. There's things that we gotta make choices in. He said, let us cleanse ourselves of the flesh and of the spirit. There's spiritual things we gotta cleanse ourselves of. There's fleshly things we gotta cleanse our, why? That we might be brought into holiness in the fear of the Lord. I've been questioning and seeking God of why we're not seeing the glory of God, the manifestation of this power of God and power and in might. Why not God? We have a good church, we have a spiritual church. We got a great church here. No doubt about it, we see great things happening. Man, things are happening, testimonies are coming in, salvations and healings. But what is hindering us from going through that threshold of the supernatural? Where there is an inhabitation of God every single service to where it's drawn the people in by the masses. What's hindering that? What's stopping that? There are times I think revival just started in this house. We'll have a service. I thought, wow, revival hit this place. Only for us to experience a pushback, a delay, a hindrance, or a pause. And I go away and say, God, what happened? We were right there. We had the momentum. 
We're on the right path. We're headed the right direction. But we have to have a full sanctification of heart, soul, mind, spirit, and body in order to obtain the full outcome of our reward of what we're sowing into the kingdom of God. We have to be dead in Christ so he can be alive in us. We have to be obedient, not just in some things, but in all things. He that finds his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life shall find it for my name's sake. We have to be alert. We have to pay attention. We have to be sober, unintoxicated by the spirit of this age. There's a great pull upon us, no doubt about it. The spirit of this age is strong. It's a delusional the woke mentality is creeping in the church where people have these vain fleshly philosophies, fleshly opinions and ideas, and they won't listen to biblical reasoning. And some of it may not be sin, and anything that opposes the word of God is sin, but there's some things that they're latching on to that just isn't convenient for their life. Come on, somebody. We have to get sensitive to the Holy Spirit ourselves and say, search us, cleanse us, purify us, convict us, and help me to reap a full return of the good that I've sown. We can't just wait for a preacher to come along and hit on something that pricks our conscience. We gotta pick up on it ourselves. You gotta look and see what tears is in your field. What needs to be plucked up and rooted out? What needs to be changed for me to have the full return of what I'm praying about? The Bible even says that if we have ought against anybody, we can't even be forgiven. The Bible tells us that if we're fighting with our husband and wives, our prayers are hindered. The terrors can even hinder your prayers. Oh, God, help us. The things that you desire to have in your future will only come to pass by what you are sowing today. We actually determine a lot of our future by what we're willing to sow in our present. What are we sowing right now? What are we putting in? What are we listening to? Who are we hanging around? What are we reading? What are we studying? Watch our actions. Watch our labor. Never forget that the process of receiving is tied to the process of your sowing. You will never receive anything that you haven't sowed. If you are reaping a lot of bad harvest, you might be wanting to check out what you're sowing. If you're sowing good, you will reap the good. The second point that I want us to see is you reap where you sow. The man, the man that sowed the seed in his field, it was in his field where he reaped. You have to sow in the field that you want the increase in. Now, I'm going to help you right here a little bit. You want financial blessings? Then start sowing in the financial area. There are all kinds of people that come to church. They pray. They sing. They worship. They do all kinds of spiritual activity, but they don't put in the offering plate and they wonder, why ain't I blessed like so-and-so is blessed? You only reap in the field that you sow in. Come on, somebody. And let me say this. Sowing finances in the church don't make you become delivered or make you become healed. These preachers that are doing it for more lucrative financial gain, they'll say, if you'll come and give $100 in the offering plate, God's going to bless you and he's going to deliver you from that which you... No, he ain't! That's like saying, I sowed in this field, but I'm going to reap my crop in that field. It don't work that way. Now, you can get mad at me. Oh, I know that there is when you obey God, God blesses you. But I want to tell you, whatever you want to be blessed in, that's what you've got to start sowing in. You've got to put some effort in. You've got to put some investment in that. 
If you want to reap relationships, then you have to so invest in relationships. I want to tell you, if you want to reap spiritual benefits, then you have to sow into your spirit. If you want all these things that I've been saying about, you got to sow into them. Again, never forget that the process of receiving is tied to the law of your sowing. And the principle that we have to learn is that wherever you want to crop, that's where you got to sow your seed. Don't expect people to be saved on your job if you never sow any seeds on your job. Everybody say, I want my buddy at church to be, uh, my, my buddy at work to be saved. Are you talking to him? Are you praying over him? Are you witnessing to him? Are you loving on him? Are you kind to him? Are you giving to him? Come on, somebody. Never expect your marriage to get better if you don't want to work on your marriage. 90% of the people that come into my office and want marriage counsel, you know what they want? They want a magic wand. Boom. Wow, it's fixed. Got a word from the preacher. Boom. I want to tell you, if your marriage is going to be fixed, it's you going to be doing a lot of sowing, a lot of investment, and you won't receive the full benefit of it until you put the full investment in. Can I have an amen? Don't expect financial blessings if you're not ever going to sow in this financial realm. You, you can only expect to be fruitful wherever you sow in, in the field. And that is the opposite's also true. You surely cannot expect to be fruitful where you haven't sowed any seed at all. You can sow seed in one field and expect a harvest, but you can't expect a harvest or a crop in a field that you never sowed any seed in. Can I have an amen? Let me put it that way. And just because you sowed seed in one field doesn't automatically cause you to reap in another field. Haven't you ever seen people just well-rounded and everything they touch turns to gold? You know what that makes me want to do sometimes? Chuck. I'm being honest. I've looked at people like, man, everything they do, they prosper. Their marriage is good. Their kids are all trim and proper. Come on. Boy, I, I'm feeling, oh, I better not say that. The Holy Ghost is good. Amen? Every time you look at them, they're blessed financially, they're blessed going out, they're blessed coming in, they're blessed rising up, they're blessed lying down. They're blessed in the car, they're blessed in the business, they're blessed in the field, they're blessed. Come on. You know why? Somewhere they've been putting a lot of investment. Somewhere they've been sowing a lot of seed. And the reason that they are where they're at is because of the good seed that they've sown. And as a result of that, they're reaping a good harvest. The third principle is you reap according to the measure that you sowed. You know why the Bible is so true, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparely shall also reap sparely. He that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. You can't expect to sow a handful and reap more than what a handful of seed's going to produce. Amen? Proverbs 11 and 24 says, There is he that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is he that withholdeth more than his meat, but he tendeth to poverty. What does that mean? It is the man that scattereth the seed that reaps the increase, but the man that withholdeth the seed, seed, it is he that is brought to poverty. In other words, you're never going to have an increase if you don't do any sowing. That's just the way it is. It's the man that scattereth that gathereth. That's what Sam Walton's wife always said in one of the books that well, I read, it said that what was her favorite phrase, if I can scatter it, I'll gather it. And she knew that the business wasn't just brought on 
by good decisions and hard work, but it was her scattering seed. And the truth of the matter is, don't expect more proportionally than what you're willing to sow. Five seeds sown will not reap a truck full of seed. You sow little, you're gonna reap little. You sow bountifully or a lot, you're gonna reap bountifully or a lot. The amount you reap is determined by how big of an investment that you're willing to make in the kingdom of God. Your future prosperity will be determined by how much you are sowing right here today. We say that we want revival. We say that we're wanting awakening. We say that we want to see the supernatural. Then how much are we willing to sow in the spirit and how much are we willing to get away from having tares in our life? As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said in Revelations 22, 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. You're going to be, what? Judged according to the works that you do, what you've sown. 1 Corinthians 3 and 8 says, Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Whatever a man invests in is what he's going to be blessed in. Whatever a man is willing to invest will determine the outcome of his reaping. And don't get jealous over another man's field. Some of the greatest persecuted Christians is those that's got it all together, and this is what people say about them that's living beneath the privilege. Oh, they think they're high, they think they're mighty, they think they're better than everybody else. If I, I, I tell you, those kinds of statements are tears. And they're the result of tears. There's, there's a result of what's been sown. In the, I just don't like that woman. I just don't like that man because, and give this big long list, and they're the people that have a bountiful harvest. They're jealous of their field. The fourth principle that I want to see is you will always reap more than that you sow. Did you know, notice the man that sowed the seed in his field and the enemy that sowed tears, both of them had a harvest. Verse 26 says, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, there appeared also the tares. Regardless of what you sow, you have to come, real, come to realize that you always will reap more than what you sow. Can I tell you, if you sow good seed, you're gonna reap a lot of good seed. But if you sow tares, you're gonna reap that as well. They're 100-fold, they're 60-fold, and they're 30-fold. And did you know it is impossible to sow things into the kingdom or into flesh either one and it not produce an increase? Amen? You sow to your flesh, you're going to have an increase of the flesh. You're not going to get by with it. No one's watching. You're sowing. Come on, somebody. You will always reap benefits from sowing in the kingdom, and you always will reap disaster by sowing in the flesh. The fifth and the final thing that I want to do, and then I'm going to close up. You will always reap in a different season than what you planted. The Bible says when the blade was sprung up at harvest time, it brought forth fruit. So many of us want an instant harvest. We want something to happen, bam, right now. Well, we live in a microwave age, stick it in, heat it up, boom, you got instant food. Like I said, and I've said it before, go through a drive-thru and let someone just hesitate or balk a little bit. It's like the old man, he's up in his 80s, he's slow about getting money out, his hands are crippled, he can't see real good, so he drives slow. He's in a, he's in a uh, drive-through, and he pulls up to the window to pay, and he's reaching, he's taking a lot of time, and the woman behind him talking the horn, hanging her head out. Nah, 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 nah. The old man sees it, and the woman sees it, and they're just ignoring her. Finally, the old man says, 
Let me pay for the woman behind me's meal too. Oh, you're clapping now. Hang on. It ain't over yet. And that woman looked at him and said, oh, how nice. He sowed what? Good seed, didn't he? He gets up there. He's paying. He's getting his meal. The woman pulls up to pay. And all of a sudden, you see her droop. You see her hang her head out. Thank you. <laughs> she just all tore up about it. And the old man in front up there, he says, well, I learned her a lesson. It's blessed to more give than to receive. And he gets his meal, and then he says, uh, before I leave, can you give me that other meal I paid for too? <laughs> and so he gave the meal, and he said, huh, taught her a lesson, how it feels to be on the receiving end, but now she's going to have to get back in line and go back in order again. <laughs> and that's our problem. Our giving is mingled both with good and both with bad. And we want to outweigh what we've done by making her go through the line by saying, well, I paid for it. Do you not understand what I'm saying here today? Even though you got a bountifully truckload of good seed, your tears can hinder your outcome. They can hinder the process of you wanting to see what you want to see. You can hinder the process of the change in that boy and the change in that girl and the change of that family and the change of whatever in your health or whatever it is. And what God's doing to me, and I know if he's doing it to me, that's what he's doing to this whole church. He's critiquing us. Galatians 6 and 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. We shall reap if we faint not. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 6 and 12 that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience, say patience, endured the promise. What would happen if a farmer went out and planted seed in his field and the next morning he got up and said, ah, nothing happened. He would be delusional. It would be a false disappointment. The seed's out there. It's just laying in dormant right now. It's got to die. It's got to go through the process of growth. Come on, somebody, and maturity. Hebrews 10 and 36 says, for we have need of patience that after we've done the will of God that we might receive the promise. Just because you sowed some seed last week don't mean that it's immediately, you're immediately going to have harvest. But just because you don't immediately have harvest, don't quit sowing. What would happen to that farmer if he went out there and he sowed the seed and a week come by and he looked out there and said, well, nothing happened, nothing grows, so I'll just quit sowing. You know what's going to happen? He's going to come to poverty. There's some of you trying things. This is where I really want to hit home, and then I'm going to close. There's some of us that get this spiritual energy for a moment. We hear sermons like today, I'm going to work on that. And we go out and we start working, and we start trying to flesh it out and live it out, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And then, after about a week or two of it, and there's real no immediate changes, no real big booms, no real manifestations, nothing really coming to pass after all of our labor intense. Then we say, well, this don't work. We start backing off. Hello? We start becoming slothful. We lose our discernment. And then guess what happens? We start sowing tears. 
At the end of the age, that which we sown good will still come up. But the problem is the tares are coming up with it also. And you and I have to make a decision here today to endure the pain and the process of sowing and to be patient for the end time harvest of it. You ain't paying your tithes, but you try it for two weeks and there ain't a check that comes in the mail. Things get worse. Don't quit sowing. Come on. Because when you quit sowing, you have tares. You're sowing seeds of flesh. Can I have an amen? I'm preaching better than you're letting on. All I know is when I go to my elevator and I want to present my crop, I want the master to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. Woo, you're going to get your harvest. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Somehow, I want to tell you, I come from a little town called Dudley, but in the millennial kingdom, I think I'm going to be the mayor of Paris, Rome, of Paris or Rome or, or over into, uh, I'm going to be over one of the major cities or something. I don't think I'm going to stick in Dudley. Can I have an amen? Maybe Italy, I don't know. Because God's going to bless me for my labor intent. Would you stand with me this morning? I know it's Thanksgiving. I know some of you are going to go to your Thanksgiving meal here in a few moments. And again, we're not going to have service tonight because of that. This is a weird thing. I had a message on Thanksgiving that I was going to preach on being thankful. And we all should be. But boy, the Lord laid this on my spirit. That we got to really watch what we're sowing. We got to watch what we're what's being sown into us. We're about to reap a harvest, guys. Man, we've been faithful. We've been praying for four years or five years on Wednesday nights. That's hard work. It's labor intense to pray, to intercede. We've been doing outreaches. We've been getting more involved in the community. We got people that are volunteering in hospitals. We got people that are sitting with people. And man, we got more going on in this church than what I can even, I didn't even know it was all going on. We got people visiting the nursing homes. We got people giving gifts to different places. I could just go on and on and on and on of how you've engaged in the harvest field. We have a lot of good seeds that we have sown. We're on the threshold of something big and something great and something mighty. But don't lose patience. Don't be weary in well-doing. We're about to reap if we faint not. And the second thing is, clean up the field. Go through your wheat field and that which is worthy of inspection and you find it to be of good, a good product, leave it. But when you see a tear, pluck it up. Root it out of your heart. Throw it away. Discard it. Run from it. Get away from it. That means it may be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It may be something hard. It may be a friend, a neighbor that just continually sows bad stuff into your life. It's wearing you down. Come on. It may be a business deal that you're involved in that ain't quite right. You might have to say, hey, I'm not going to do business that way. I'm not doing things shady. 
Come on. We justify everything. It may be that you're going to have to quit telling those white lies to your boss, your wife, your husband, those little termites just destroying the vine. I could keep on naming all kinds of different kinds of things. I'll hit most of us in here somewhere. None of us is perfect, but yet God has got his all hand upon us, scrutinizing us, examining us. We're being weighed in the balance as a church. And God's looking out and saying, do you want what I got for you that's already provided? You can't lay claim hold of it because you got too much fleshly activity. You got things you got to change. I know how I've been feeling. And I've been repenting. I've been searching. I've been miserable. I've been, oh God. I, the other night I was just praying and saying, Lord, take me. Break me. Make me a broken vessel again. Cleanse me. Know every wicked way in me. Every bad attitude, every wrong thought, every lust, every lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Whatever is inside of me, God, and you know what he does? He allows me to be tested to where the heart's tested to where I can see the element there that needs to be worked on. And man, it's been tough because when you start praying those prayers, he'll bring to light what you got to work on. And the way he does that is through trial. And in that trial, you got a decision to make. Give way to the field of tares or to pluck up the tear, throw it away, discard it, and put on the new man created in righteousness in Christ Jesus. Some of the things that, you know, just some of the movies I've watched for years. I was laughing the other day so hard, and I was watching Gunsmoke. Now, I'm not telling you quit watching Gunsmoke, but I'm watching Gunsmoke, and Festus and Doc was into it. And, man, I was laughing my head out, and all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of opened my eyes. I was laughing about a scene where there was nothing but drunkenness. Saloon girls, come on. And all of a sudden, I thought, that scene there doesn't amuse God. It doesn't make God laugh. He's appalled at that scene in that, in that movie. I was laughing at it, and God's appalled by it. Am I connected to the Spirit at that time? You say, Brother Miller, that's crazy. No, I'm telling you, that's how much God's critiquing my life. Now I gotta watch everything. Now it's just like, I can't laugh at Margaret Houlihan and Frank Burns on MASH anymore. I used to laugh my head off of it. Now I can't even hardly watch it. Why? Am I laughing about adultery? That's that serious. How can I be so in tune to the Spirit of God when I am appeasing the flesh by laughing at things? Come on. I turned it on the other day at night, just thumbing through the channel. UFC came and there was a girl wearing a girl out. And boy, I said, man, come on, hit her, pop her. And I thought, what are you saying? What are you doing? The Bible says not to be a brawler or a striker. Here I am. Come on, beat her brains out. Boom, boom, boom. And the flesh is rising up. Now, you're saying, boy, what kind of life are you wanting us to live? I'm talking about a holy life. 
a life where God can bring to you your own conviction and let you live that. Everybody's not on the same level. Everybody's not going to be in the personal level is going to be convicted of the same kinds of things. God knows your makeup. But one thing you will be, you'll be convicted of those things that violate Scripture. I want you to come up if you would. Just, just make your way up here just for a few minutes. By the world's terms, gun smoke rated PG. Some of them G. And yet God was just showing me the thought of that. That we sometimes say, well, you know, it's rated PG. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else doesn't get away with it. And the problem of it is we just follow the crowd, don't really pay attention to the spirit, and we allow those people that's involved in tears to bring us right in to sowing of the flesh. And then we wonder, why is my outcome not the way it should be? Why is it I sowed a lot but brought in little? Because the terrace choked some of the good wheat and it lost its effect. Why do I sow bountifully in some areas and I don't reap bountifully in those areas? It's because the tares do rob and hinder and mar the good. I want revival more than anything. And every book that I study of our history, where there were divine awakenings and where there was revival, there were totally sellouts by those men of God and those women of God and those churches that hosted that revival. They fasted, they prayed, they hungered, they sought, they read, they sowed. They watched their mouths. They watched what they say, every idle word. They kept it uh, under the blood of Jesus. Everything, they didn't gossip, they didn't slander, they didn't fight, they didn't feud. Revival didn't break out in the middle of chaos. It, brought, it broke out in the midst of holiness people that had humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, they reaped their reward. The church of God, it's just a handful of men Look at the church of God today. Eight million some odd strong. 164, I think, countries of the world. Started with a handful of men that got hungry for a move of God. And they knew that there was more in Scripture. There was Baptist men and they ended up being Methodist men and it ended up coming all kinds of different kinds of men. In 1886, they gathered and they began to pray. A handful of them. And you know what happened? They prayed for 10 solid years with nothing and in 1996, the Holy Ghost fell on them, that group. And out of that group was a church called the Christian Union. And it was there that they had a great outpouring. And that turned into the church of God. And it's what it is today because of a handful of men that secluded themselves and said, we want more of God. we got to have more. If you want your family to do different, that's what you got to do with your family. You want finances, that's what you got to do with your finances. You're not going to start just saying, I'm paying my tithes and look for a big check in your, in your mailbox in, in a week. That ain't the way it works. You got to sow it 
You got to hang in there. You got to be patient. You got to endure hardness as a good soldier. You got to keep your field clean. Keep it plowed. Keep it cultivated. Keep it watered. That we might have a full increase of the power of God. Would you begin to pray right now? And say, oh God, search me. Know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Put me on the path, even though it may be hard. Put me on the potter's wheel and begin to spin me. Begin to mar another vessel out of me. I promise you this, I'm like Isaiah. Isaiah thought he had it all together until the Lord came down in his full glory. And it was Isaiah says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips that dwell in the midst of an unclean people. I know one thing. I always thought I had it together and I've been doing a lot of ministry for a lot of years. And I begin to think, oh God, but all that ministry and all that sowing and all that work cannot justify the bad that's in my life. Forgive me of my bad and help me to overcome them. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Let me, God, be free of all my debtness and let me be free of all of my unforgiveness and my bitterness and my hurt and my pain and my anxieties and all those things that are of the flesh. And let me be pure and holy as the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ. I stand before you this morning even feeling dirty myself again today. Don't even feel worthy to preach this message. But my path before me is a path of righteousness. And I choose it. I choose this day to follow that path. To sanctify myself. To cleanse myself of all filthiness of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Almighty God, I pray over this congregation now, Father. As we embark upon this journey, God, I know that you're going to test every single one of us. You're going to try us by fire. But that fire is not there to hurt us. It's there to purge us. That fire will cause us to come out like precious gold. You're going to take the droth. You're going to take the trash. You're going to take all of the impurities, all of the foreign substance of our life. You're going to put it to the fire. The wood, hay, and the stubble is going to burn up. And the only thing that's going to be left is gold and silver and precious stone. You're going to rake off the top of that gold, all that trash, and you're going to purify yourself of people. Help us to endure that process. As we're put on that spinning wheel, that wheel of clay, and you're marring us another vessel, Give us, God, the patience to endure it, the common sense to, Lord, live out those things, God, that you're correcting by us changing and accepting and embracing the things of the Spirit that we might birth a, a Isaac to where we do not birth in the flesh and birth in Ishmael. Let the conflict, God, inside of us, the wars that's going on inside of us between good and evil, flesh and spirit, let it, God, be sanctified to the glory of God the Father that our eyes might be fixed on Jesus and Jesus only. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn around and tell somebody happy Thanksgiving and that God's not done with us yet.